Jesus died to make us holy. That's the power of the message of the cross. The power of the cross is its ability to turn pagans into saints, to turn the ungodly into godly, to turn the wicked into priests of God Most High. We are a holy people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. So you belong to him. You're his. He bought you at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. All right. Okay, guys, let's... I'll just quickly pray and then we'll get into it. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I need your help now to, to minister. Um, Lord, help me to say the right words. Help me to get to... Uh, get this doctrine out really clearly so that everyone here has no um, misconception in relation to it in any way, shape or form. So I need your spirit now to, uh, to preach this word and, and I pray that your spirit will touch every single heart here so that they will receive the word. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Romans 3.31, if we can just turn there. All right, now I'm going to be jumping right in deep real quick. So... Who knows that this series of sermons has been important? Yeah. I think it's been probably, in my opinion, in my, according to my ministry, the most important series I've ever done in my life of ministry. And, uh, and now this sermon I'm bringing to you in relation to um, a question Stephen asked me at the end of the last service. And it was a valuable question, and I thought, yeah, I should really do that. Um, I won't tell you exactly the question yet because I want to, get into the sermon but you remember know what I'm talking about don't you Stephen and I thought yeah this and I've been meaning to do this sermon for about three four years um, but anyway let's start off by looking at 331 Romans 331 it says do we then nullify the law by this faith what he's saying is is the law nullified is the law uh, are we sorry yeah, abolished. Is it abolished? What did Jesus say when he, he said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. All right? So he says, um, do we then nullify the law by faith? So now that we're under grace, is the law nullified? No longer in power? All right? And what does Paul answer? And the reason he's saying that is because people were, were doing the very thing the same Christians are doing today. They, do, they were doing it back then. And he says, rather, no, not at all. We uphold the law. We uphold it. Now, if this sermon could be titled something, it would be called Upholding the Law. And that's scriptural. Is it, is it in Scripture? Did Rob make this up? And I keep saying this because people keep, will, will keep attacking me. You're an illegalist. No, no, no. Let's, what does the Scripture say? And it says, we uphold it. What does uphold? It means to confirm or support it. You know, in, in court, if you upheld um, something, it would be the, the, the judge or the, uh, would uphold the claim for damages. He would uphold it, meaning, yes, you will get the claim. You will get those. So when you uphold something, you hold it up and you support it. You're behind it. You're for it. Does that make sense? So Christians uphold the law. And not only that, have a look at Romans 8, 3, 3b meaning I'm going to be starting from and so, where it's after the full stop. In that, so there's a sentence and then there's a full stop and it says, and so he condemns sin and sinful man. All right, so Jesus condemned sin. So sin is condemned in Jesus' eyes and according to what he did on earth. He condemned it. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous, listen to these words, in order that the righteous requirements of the law, in order that the righteous, the, the, the good qualities, the holy requirements of the law might be fully met in us. So the righteous requirements of the law should be fully met in us. So he condemns sin. 
He condemned sin so that the righteous requirements of the law could be met in us, so that we could meet them. Because we're upholding the law, then we meet the requirements of the law. Is this legalism? Yes, it is. But what I mean by that is, it's in the Scriptures, so why would I say, don't follow the law and confuse people thinking, oh, well, that means that I'm not under the law. That means that I'm free to do anything I want. That means I can drink again. That means I can get stoned again. And that means I can live a wild life again. I can be a total pagan again. Nothing of the sort. We uphold the law. The righteous requirements of the law should be fully met in us. Now, has Rob said this? Is this Rob's thoughts and philosophy? I just want to ask you that. If it was then it wouldn't be in here. But who knows, I've done how many sermons now? Does it say it over and over again in Scripture? It says it over and over again in Scripture. So, um, and so he condemns sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the Lordship might be fully met in us. Now, met, when, it, when we meet something, comes from the word, and Vina's probably going to tell me I don't say it right, and so is John. Play, uh, it's P-L-E-R-O-O, play-roll-o. Um, and that it should be so it should be fulfilled it should be fulfilled that's what it means in Greek it means we should be fulfilled right so the the law you should have it it should be fulfilled within you right any when you you, you should not be walking in the sin nature at all because the law the righteous requirements of the law should be met in you should be completely fulfilled fulfilled in you does that make sense and if that's the case what happens is you're holy now this is the next issue could can a, a, a person in their own strength meet the requirements of the law no so jesus worked it out he says how are we going to solve this dilemma i did it i lived a whole righteous life but he was god Right? We could say, well, that was a, a give me, you know, he's God, he made it. Yes, well, there's the, there's the clue. What did he give us? He gave us the Holy Spirit. All right? It's not our doing. It's not our ability that allows us to live according to these holy, righteous requirements of the law. It's the Spirit within us enabling us. And not only that, he gives us a conscience, a holy conscience. So when we sin, we realize it and we repent. We don't continue down that road of sin. We continue to repent and come back and live under the Spirit, not under the law. We're not under the law because then it would be fulfilling it in our own right. That means we'd have something to boast about when we get to heaven. I did it because I did it. But we won't be able to boast you know, you get to heaven and you realize, man, the only way I got through, the only way I resisted all that stuff was because the Holy Spirit was so strong in me. And I can't boast that I broke alcoholism over my life. It was God that did it. It's God broke it over me. God broke all these things, these sinful things that I used to do. Not only did he break me from uh, being a drug addict, he made me despise drugs. And hate them. Who's had that happen in their life as a Christian? That's, that's the power of, of the gospel. But if you take that away, if you take the law away, if you say you're not under the law, forget it. It's not what he means. You're not under the law. You're under the spirit. You're under, you, it's by faith. You don't fulfill the law. And you've got to remember another thing. He was saying that to Jews who were pushing circumcision. He was saying it that they should go back to sacrificing animals again. So the law he's talking about was Jewish customs and laws and traditions of men. And God. God gave him the sacrificial system, right? He said, you don't have to do that anymore. One sacrifice, good for all time. Circumcision means nothing. Circumcise your heart by the Spirit. Does that make sense? So that's the, that's the heavy elements of the law that the Jews were talking about, and that's what Paul was referring to. 
But does he say, oh, you're not under the law, therefore you can murder someone? It's not what he meant. Upholding the law. Does the New Testament uphold the law? Does it? That's my question. And this was the question Stephen asked me. He says, so what is the law then that you're talking about? or that Paul's talking about, and, and Peter and John. What is that element of law that we are supposed to obey by the power of the Spirit? Because by the power of our own power, by the flesh nature, you cannot, cannot obey. It's proven. So the Ten Commandments, which are in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, and, and let's just quickly grab your... Um, your little book out. Do you remember Bill got us to memorize the Ten Commandments? I was going to write them down. I thought, we'll see how many of you were here that day when we had to write down the Ten Commandments. It's a few pages in. Okay, and it says, what's commandment number one? Thou shall have no other gods before me. Number two is, thou shall not make unto thee any graven image. Number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Number four is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Five, honor the father and thy mother. Number six is, thou shalt not kill. Number seven is, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number eight is, thou shalt not steal. Number nine is, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And number ten is, thou shalt not covet. Okay, so most of those are pretty reasonable. So, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And what did Jesus say? Let's quickly turn to Matthew 4.10. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he's, he's saying that as if to confirm the law, uphold the law. He upheld the law. He fulfilled the law. Right? Now he wants the righteous requirements of the law to be fulfilled in us. And so he says, he confirms the law. He says to Satan, and he said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So you should have no other gods. What he was saying is, Satan, I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to follow you. I only have God. God is the only one that we should worship. And 22.37 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Did he say that? Then to say, no, you're not under the law. You're not under that. <laughs> should we be under that? We should uphold that. We should uphold it. That's why we've got to uphold the law. Amen. The Ten Commandments, you shall not make idols. And John said in 1 John 5.21, let's just turn there. 1 John 5.21, it's the very last thing he said in the book, Dear children, the last verse, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Right? And there's other spots in the New Testament as well. You shouldn't make idols. Keep away from them. Don't have anything to do with them. And what do we do in, in now? We have idols in all sorts of idols. You know, we worship sports stars. We worship singers. We worship actors. We worship our hobbies. We worship cars. We worship fishing. Not that you worship fishing. Fishing is, well, that's exempt, isn't it? <laughs> um, we worship all sorts of things, you know, things that consume our time. People worship the TV, you know, they just can't go a night without spending five hours in front of it. And you know what's funny about the TV is usually in the corner of a room or now it's up on a wall and stuff, but um, the idols in Hindu households are typically in the, ma in the main room, in the lounge room, in the corner. It's what they would all sit around and their chairs would sit around and face their idols. We've just replaced that with a TV set. Hmm. And Ten Commandments again, number three, you shall, not, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What has Hollywood popularized? Saying Jesus Christ as a swear word. But it, it has it's twofold application in that. You shall not take the Lord your God in his name in vain, meaning you don't swear using his name. That's, that's a must. Uh, the second thing is saying you're a Christian and then living a contrary life. So you're, taking, you're saying I'm a Christian taken the Lord's name, you know, and then living a wretched life. So you've taken his name in vain. Jesus said in Matthew 15, let's turn there. 
Who knows this teaching is flying in the face of a lot of popular teaching today? Who knows it doesn't get taught a lot? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, and these are what make a man unclean. So what it's saying, what I'm, why I use that reference, because there wasn't a specific reference where Jesus said, do not use the Lord's God's name in vain, but out of what we say, if we're using his name, we're um, making ourselves unclean. And a Christian should never say Jesus Christ as a swear word. Never. How dare we? The, the Son of God who laid his life down on the cross for us so that we could be saved for eternity, we use his name as a swear word? But do you know how many Christians do? They don't even think about it. They just let, their, let it roll off their tongue. And this is the other thing, Christians, me included, I can sometimes have certain people over and they can use his Lord, his, the Lord's name in vain. And I'm too meek to sort of go and say, oh, will you stop saying that in my house? You know, but shouldn't we be a bit stronger? You know, come on, man, what's your language around me? You know I'm a Christian, how dare you swear using my Lord's name? I once confronted someone close to me in my family and he turned to me and said, what are you talking about? You know, he gave me a mouthful of abuse because I defended my faith. You know, and I was like in shock. But John twenty thirty one, it says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. His name is precious. His name is precious. When you pray using the name of Jesus, you empower your prayers, right? So how can that name be dragged through the mud? And never by a Christian, never by a Christian. And words like, God damn it, should never be used. You know? I've, oh my God, can be used in relation to a Christian, should have a right to use, oh my God. You know, you, you get something beautiful. Oh my God, that is wonderful. Because he's my God. As I've said before, you know, um, in, in many cultures, as far as I know, that um, they have an expression, an oh my God expression. And it testifies that they are created by God. Their expressions, humanity's expressions, testify to God. And I believe that's God worked it out that way, that everyone will, will have confessed that there is God, that God exists. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, I'm not going to go into this <laughs> too much. I've done a sermon on it, um, but let's just have a look at what Jesus says. Mark 2.27. I'll, I'll try to be, not go too far down this road because uh, it needs an entire sermon. Then he said to me, I said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, what Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest in him. So what do we do? When we're living now, we are living in the Sabbath of the Lord. We can rest in Jesus. So what does he say? Therefore, keep it holy. Keep it holy. And what am, what's all this, this survey is about? Holiness and salvation are linked and intertwined. So you're in the Sabbath of the Lord. Keep it holy. So we obey the Sabbath. How? By keeping every part of our day holy. We've obeyed it. We're obeying it if we're holy and living a holy, righteous lifestyle and we're being filled with the Spirit. Doesn't mean we have to take a day off. Well, Jesus says... The Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. We're not created for the Sabbath. What, what it means is, is, you know what? It's really healthy for you if you give your body a rest once a week. It just works into the design feature. You know, if you have a rest, your body doesn't break down. If you go, 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 who knows? Builders know. If you just go, 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 go all the time, seven days a week, seven days a week, seven days a week, seven days a week, eventually you come to a big crunch, don't you? You hit a wall that you can't get over. Because the body 
needs rest and good rest. It needs a, a Sabbath every day at night. You need a little Sabbath rest at night. And then you need a day in the week, not where these people that are banned the Sabbath, they don't even turn off the light switches because that's work. That's not what it's referring to anymore. That's ridiculous. You can't go and make yourself dinner. You have to buy it, make someone else work. <laughs> you know, that's ridiculous. You can do those things. Actually, Vina, when she comes home from work, finds cooking a time where she unwinds and it's a relaxing time for her. She actually really enjoys it, which I'm really happy about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's always something tasty there. <laughs> She's Greek. So. Number five, honour your father and mother. Okay, kids, honour your father and mother. Let's have a look. Is that still upheld by the New Testament? Luke 18.20. Luke 18.20. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honour your father and your mother. Honour your father and mother. So Jesus upheld that. And why do we have to do that? Let's have a look. Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. And it says, everyone there, Ephesians? It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. All right? And then it says, honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment that with a promise. So there's a promise attached to it. And guess what the promise is? that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Who wants things to go well in life, right? You'd have to be something wrong with you as a, as a child. You don't want things to go well, you know, if you want everything to really turn out bad. You don't want them to turn out bad. You want them to go well. So it says, honour your father and mother, so that all, may th all things may go well with you and that you may enjoy, who likes to enjoy stuff, right? You want to enjoy a long life on earth and enjoy every day? Honour your mother and your father. There it is, there's the promise. And that's a promise. So you'll find that as you honour your father and mother and love them, you don't have to agree with them all the time. Let's put that down because who knows as parents, we don't get it right all the time. But what you do is you honour and respect them, you know, for being the best that they can be, you know. There's lines that we've we got to negotiate and stuff, but we've got to generally honour. And this goes for us as well. If you've got older parents, you know, we've got to honour them. Anthony, honour your mum. And as you honour them, as you continue to honour them, right, life gets better. And if you honour them more, the life gets better and, and it increases exponentially, Right. So the closer you're with your parents and the more um, linked you are and the more um, together you are as a family unit, and isn't that the European culture is the very family base, isn't it? You know, the, part of the healthiest part of the world is the Mediterranean uh, part of Europe, right? And that's the, part of the healthiest because they've got one of the best diets in the world. But it's also they're family orientated. They're very connected. So if you stay very connected with your parents, life will go well. And the Mediterranean a part of Europe has uh, probably some of the longest lifespans in the world as well. So enjoy a long life. You know, it's all this, these similes here. So that's what I, was, what I was thinking about getting closer and closer. All right. You shall not murder. Now, that, that's got to be in the New Testament, doesn't it? However, here's some interesting things. And this is the interesting thing. We've got a, we've got, um, you're going to find that um, we uphold the law. We uphold the Ten Commandments. However, back in the Old Testament, actually I'll say that after I read it so you can see it firsthand. Let's go to Matthew 5.21. Matthew 5.21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother Raka is answerable to Sanhedrin, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Raka is like a swear word. And uh, you'll be in danger if you, call, if you say you fool, you'll be in danger of the fire of hell. Now that's pretty powerful, right? Why? Let's go to 1 John 3.15. 1 John 3.15, just before 1 John 3.16. Anyone who hates his brother is... A murderer. 
Okay. So the Old Testament said you shall not murder. You shall not perform the act of murder. The New Testament says if you even think hatred towards your brother, you're a murderer. So not only are we held to uphold the, the, these elements of the law, but we're under a stricter code. Even stricter. Christians should be more impeccably holy than even the Jews of old. That's going, taking legalism to the next step. But isn't that what Jesus says? Isn't that what 1 John says? If you even think, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you're a murderer. That's powerful. We've got to check ourselves with that. Because I don't want to be classed as a murderer. I don't want to get to heaven. And Jesus says, you're a murderer. I go, I've never murdered. Yes, you have. This person, this person, this person. Through your life. Hated them, hated them, hated them. That's why Christians up until, you know, recently were always known as the most holy people you would ever meet. The true Christians. Were the most holy, loving people. Most forgiving people. What did Jesus say about forgiveness? If you do not forgive, he can't forgive us. The Father can't forgive. So these Christians that are claiming that they're saved, yet they can't forgive people, that's got to change. You've got to forgive from your heart. You've got to forgive. You've got to go digging deep and searching deep because you don't want to lose your salvation because you hate people and you can't forgive people. We've got to be bigger than that, don't we? We've got to see these people from God's perspective. We've got to see it from God's perspective. In that it's not against flesh and blood that we are waging war. It's against the powers and principalities that are driving these people and driving us to, causing us to become pain so the people hate us because we can't live by this, by faith. Because we can't live by faith. Because we don't grasp it. We don't grasp what the gospel says. Ten Commandments. Again, you shall not commit adultery. Now, here's very much like the murdering one, Matthew 5, 27 to 28. You've heard what it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So in the Old Testament do not commit the act of adultery in the New Testament. Can't even think it. And this is why Satan, what has he done? He's made pornography available on the internet. Free. As much as you want. Right? Because he knows. He's not worrying about money. He doesn't care if those sites get money or not. He wants to corrupt the world. He want, and especially wants to destroy the faith of the Christians. He wants your soul. There's a war for souls. That's what the great cosmic conspiracy is. It's a war for souls. All these conspiracies aside, there's one giant theory that overrides the whole lot, and it's just simply the battle for souls. God versus Satan. Right? And that's what it comes down to. Look at a woman with lust in your eyes who committed adultery. And what did Jesus say in Revelation? That he'd be quick to testify against adulterers. Man, I'm worried about the 20th, 21st century Christians. You know, you don't want to get to the judgment. As I've said before, you don't want to get to the judgment and look beside you and go, oh, Hitler's there. What am I doing next to Hitler? <laughs> did, he, did you convert before you died? Stalin, what? <laughs> what are you doing there? How come I'm in the front row with you guys? <laughs> Sounds funny, but isn't it? It's a funny thing. But it's, you don't want to be in that situation. You don't want to look be on that side of the fence, as it were. And then you'll be checking yourself. What have I done? What have I done? What have I done? Check yourselves now. Why do you think the Christians for 1,900 years live such impeccably holy lives? We're in such impeccable Christians because they check themselves every single day they 
it's only a relatively modern phenomenon that Christians haven't had to uphold the law. It's when the church became a corporate organization. Once the churches enter into corporate settings and started to realize there's a lot of money to be made here, everything changed. Everything changed because when you're dealing with bucks, you've got to keep the people happy to keep them coming back and to keep them giving. And then you get these little churches and what are they doing? They're changing their message because they want to they make the bucks like the big churches. And everyone's putting out the books that say the same message and they know people will buy them because they don't preach the true gospel. They preach a watered-down message. You're under grace. Go for your life in a manner of speaking. So what do I do? I preach the truth and there's a result. You know, we've got a beautiful, the most beautiful, sincere Christians that I've ever met, all of you. But it's only few want to hear it because it runs in the face of everything that's being preached today, you know, in most churches. I'm known as a legalist. Why? Because I read the scriptures, man, and it tells me over and over and over again. And so what do I say? Well, I can't. I can't ignore this. I've got to uphold the law. The righteous requirements of the law must be fully met in us. You're under the law if you're not under grace. If you're under the grace, you're not under the law. But as soon as you step out from being under grace, you're now under the law and you'll be judged by the law. What that means is the moment you start entering into a sinful life and you continue in that sinful life, you are no longer under grace because that's evidence. You'll know them by their fruit. You are now under the law and you'll be judged by the law and you'll be found wanting. And that will not get any better for you until you repent and you get back under the grace of God and then you start to live a holy and righteous life by the power of the Spirit, by faith. Amen? And that's in Scripture. And I'm, I'm coming to that Scripture, so I'll wait till I get there. Let's go to Matthew 5.32. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, so there's the exemption. If, if someone's been maritally unfaithful, then you divorce your wife. The person who's divorced the maritally unfaithful person is no longer subject to this, what Jesus is saying, uh, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a woman, so divorced or man, should be woman or man, uh, commits adultery. In many respects, there's a lot of people that have committed adultery when they just realize, oh, I don't like you anymore, darling. Oh, I don't like you either. Well, let's get divorced. Now they've got two adulterers after that. Now, is, this, is anyone without sin? Is anyone without sin? As you go through this, you realize, I've sinned. I've sinned. I've sinned. I must repent. I must get right because we all fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. By his grace, by what he did for us, he sets us free. And we've got to repent of that so that we can be holy and get under grace because we've all been down the road in some areas of these things. And there's more too. I haven't even finished. So Matthew 15, 19 to 20. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery. There it is. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, and adultery. You shall not steal. We'll go to, Jesus said in Matthew fifteen nineteen to 20. Okay, and he, in Matthew fifteen nineteen to 20, this is obvious, you know we shouldn't steal. Who knows we shouldn't steal? You know, but when, when you really understand the gravity of, of, of the Lord always watching you and, live, and you, he, you're living under his supervision, in a sense, you can't even steal a paper clip. Who knows that feeling? You see 20 bucks. I remember um, we used to do cleaning. Vina and I used to do lock-up cleaning, go into um, uh, like the registration division down here at Mitcham used to um, give us the key so we'd go in. We knew the codes. We'd go in at night after everyone was gone. And I'm sure they used to have their cameras on and just check us out for a little bit because during the first period of time, I remember walking in and there was this bag of cash right there, you know, 20s and 50s, and it was all scattered. And I'm like, oh, man, come on. It's like cheese in a mousetrap. <laughs> but it was just all that cash there and I'm going, I know what's going on here but I, I wouldn't have taken it anyway you know, if I knew it belonged to someone else if I walk along in a 
somewhere, you know, in the bush and there's 50 bucks. I'm not going to leave it there. I put it in my pocket. Because everyone asks, is this yours? Of course it is. <laughs> so I don't ask anyone. It's, it's just blowing around in the wind. But if it's in a place and you know it's someone's place, like, you know, you're in your friend's house and there's 20 bucks on the kitchen table and no one's in the room, you don't take it, do you? Right? Because you know God's got his eye on you. And that's an element of Christianity that should keep us in check. It should keep us holy. What are Christians meant to be? We're meant to be holy and blameless. Be holy as he is holy. We're told it over again, over and over again. Matthew 15, 19 to 20. Uh, it's the same scripture again. For out of these hearts come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, and theft. Out of our hearts come theft. Let's go to Luke 18, 20. 18, 20. You know the commandment? He was, and again, this is Jesus Christ upholding the law, saying, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, as we read before. Do not murder. Do not steal. All right? It's obvious. We aren't to steal. So again, is that commandment held up? Yep. All right. And let's go to, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, Matthew 15, 19 to 20 again. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony. So again, it's in the New Testament. It's been upheld by Jesus. It's been upheld by Paul. It's been upheld by John. You shall not covet. And Paul said in Colossians 3, 5, uh, put to death, therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, and that word greed is covetousness. So don't covet. You know, someone you know has bought this big, magnificent house and you've got your old little house and you go there and you can't be happy for them because you look around the house going, man, you know, that's not right. That's not right. Go in there. You know, Vina and I, when we get invited to people's houses when they've got a new house, they love inviting us over because we just like, oh, this is so beautiful. Well, you've got a beautiful place. You know, I really sincerely feel happy for people when they get something good. We shouldn't covet it. You know, you can get ideas like, you know, wow, did you see how they built their barbecue? You know, we'll go home, we'll do the same thing. You get a few ideas, but you don't covet it, right? It's wrong to covet. You know, I'll tell you what, everyone would covet my house in the kingdom of God. If you could see it, you'd want it, right? But we shouldn't. That's why you don't see it now. But don't covet. It's not good to covet. Now, I want to get to some, some hard-hitting scriptures. So Colossians 3, 5 to 10. And it says, put to death. We were just there. So if you've got your finger still there, you're in the right spot. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So here's Paul. You know, they say you're not under the law and, and, and legalism and all this stuff. But Paul is telling us what we should not do. Now, why would pastors not teach what we should not do if Paul tells us what we should not do? And why is he telling us? You know, he says... Do not get involved in the Greek word pharmakeia or sorcery or wizardry, right? But pharmakeia is where we get pharmacy, which is where you get drugs, right? So pharmakeia is drug taking as well, right? The witches used to cook up these brews and give them to people and they'd like trip away on like it was like an LSD, right? So Paul said, don't get into that. Why? Because he knows something about that sin, right? It's not just so you can't have fun, <laughs> He knows that it's going to destroy your life. If you get involved in drugs, you're going to have a destroyed life. People don't live long once they get heavily addicted to heavy drugs, do they? Their lives get ruined. They destroy their relationships with their families and their spouses. And then they go from, you know, they lose everything they have because they spend all their money on it. And thing leads a thing, and the next thing you know, he's in some, you know, warehouse with all these other druggies just laying on the ground drooling in the mouth. So Paul said, stay away from that. <laughs> so shouldn't ministers teach that? Amen. I should teach that. I should teach it. Why do I say don't drink in excess? I don't say don't have a little bit of red wine over a meal or anything, but I say don't drink in excess. Why? Because alcoholics die early and they live terrible lives. So don't go down that path. Why does the Bible say don't get involved in sexual immorality? Because... People are, and, and homosexuality, because people are dying of AIDS. 
People are getting sick. Sexual diseases. You know, and it also it destroys their abilities to have good relationships if they see the opposite sex as a, as a sex machine, you know, not as a, as a real person that you've got to love before you go down that road. You know what I mean? So it should be preached. Christians should preach it because Paul preached it and that's why I preach it. Paul said, Therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Whatever belongs to it, put it to death. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Impurity, lust. Lust is another terrible one. Don't lust after the opposite sex and don't lust after stuff. Evil desires and greed, which is covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. See, the wrath of God is coming because of those sins. So Christians, don't involve yourself in it. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. That's how you used to live before you accepted Christ. That's your lifestyle. Once you've become a Christian, that is no longer your lifestyle. You repent. That's what repentance means. It means an about turn and you walk in the opposite direction. You no longer should have a desire for those things. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. And he, he says it. Things that Christians have to deal with, all of us. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. See, Paul's telling us, don't let filthy language pour out of your lips. A Christian should not be obscene, should not swear, shouldn't curse, shouldn't say remotely, like you know how we can, you know, we can replace swear words with, Christian swear words. Instead of saying the un bad word, you say another bad word. I, I don't want to use examples here because I don't think it's right coming from the pulpit, even using those words. Christians should not swear. Filthy language should not come from our lips. And again, I'm only saying this because it's here. If it wasn't here, I wouldn't say it. Slander, filthy language from lips. Do not lie to each other. So lying is out. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. See, it's telling us, as a Christian, we've taken off our old self with its practices. So the old self and the things it used to practice, you don't practice anymore. You've taken it off. It's like a garment you no longer wear. What are we doing taking off that old garment putting it up in our closet after we've ironed it and washed it and put it up there for a little while. It's not so bad now. It looks pretty good. It's hanging. You know what Christians are going to learn to do? We've got to learn to take off those garments and burn them. Not put them back on. Again, what, who should we put on? Who should we put on? Every morning when you get up, you put on Jesus Christ. Be clothed with Jesus Christ. And you walk in Christ under the grace of God by faith. You do that by faith because you receive the Holy Spirit who enables you. See, we can't do it in ourselves. We can't do it with our own strength. We cannot fulfill the law. We cannot fulfill the righteous requirements of the law in our own strength. We can't uphold the law in our own strength. We tried to be good people before we became Christian. Didn't we? We tried to be good people. How many atheists are trying to be good people? They're always trying to be good. It's not going to get them in heaven, but it, they're trying to be good. We all try to be good. But it's fulfillment of something and living that holy life that Jesus died to give us comes by following the Holy Spirit that he died and rose again to give us. He ascended on high so he could send us the Holy Spirit. Now, if you are finding you're struggling with sin, all I can tell you is you need to repent because you need to get filled again with the Holy Spirit so that he can enable you to live a Christian life the way you're meant to live it, not some watered-down version of how that's fine, you're under grace. That's not it. Christianity. Christianity has impeccable requirements. We must fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. We must walk the narrow road 
between the narrow parameters of the gospel. We can't do whatever we want. We've got to live according to what the scriptures say. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with these practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Our new self is being renewed in knowledge. What sort of knowledge? This knowledge, the knowledge of grace, the knowledge of that you've walked by faith filled with the Holy Spirit and the signal to you that you're not walking by faith in, in the Holy Spirit is that you're sinning, you're living a sinful life. And you're not holy anymore. You're filthy. You've put on your old garments. You're wearing your old garments again. They've been resurrected from the ashes. You you resisted for a few years when you started out and your first love, you were love, love Jesus, you were passionate, and then all of a sudden you've just gone down, down, down. It's because your knowledge changed, your understanding of Scripture, what you're holding yourself to in Scripture changed. What you let change you Ephesians 5 3 7 let's have a look at that all right so chapter 5 and it says but among you this verse 3 but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality see among you there must not be even a hint not even a tiny speck a hint if you ask for a drink put a hint of lemon juice it's just Hint. can't even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. Can't. Right, I'm reading this and I'm, I'm getting convicted as much as you guys because I have to live up to this too, you know. Because we've got to uphold the law. We've got to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. But we're not under the law. We're under grace and there's, there's the difference is by the Holy Spirit that he gave to counsel us. He gave the Holy Spirit to counsel us, to lead us in righteousness and in holiness. That's why he's called a Holy Spirit, to make us holy. That's why. It must not even be a hint of sexual morality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. These are improper. God's holy people. See, he's calling us his holy people. God's holy people. If you say, I'm a Christian, and, um, and someone says, are you holy? Oh, no, I'm a Christian, but I'm, man, no, no, I'm a holy. No. You must be holy if you want to see the Lord. Does the Bible say that? Yeah. It says, be holy. Only those that are, will see the Lord will, are holy. I can't remember the exact wording. I don't know why. I normally do. Agreed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity. We can't be obscene. We can't make dirty jokes. We've got to actually stop all that. I'm getting convicted on you know, certain videos sometimes that I end up watching on YouTube. Comedy. And you watch comedy, and especially worldly comedy, and the next thing you know, you're laughing at things you shouldn't be laughing at because they're obscene. There shouldn't even be a hint of that in our life. Foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. Listen to this. He's talking to the Ephesians here. And we've got to remember, the, uh, the letter is addressed to the Ephesians, Christians. Not to the unbelievers, because the unbelievers would not pick up this letter and read it. It was addressed to the Christians, and it says... Jesus, uh, Paul says, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, immoral, impure, greedy, curvaceous, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Has any inheritance. If you've got no inheritance, that means you don't get it. You go to, the will's opened. You, you know, your, your uh, parents have passed away. The will's opened. And there's three ch- children. And you and your two brothers, and I opened the will, and I said, everything's left to your two brothers. And you go, hold on. Aren't I, aren't I in there? No. You don't get any inheritance. Any. Out. That means zero. You don't even get money to pay for your car park in the city. 
You got to walk out of there, nothing, zilch. Do you want that? Do you want to go to heaven and say, Jesus say to you, you've got no inheritance, you immoral, impure, greedy person? He'll call us an idolater. Why is he calling impure, in, um, greedy people idolaters? Because we worship sin. We worship it. We idolize it. We follow after it. We want to do it. We don't want to hear someone tell us not to do it. And if someone goes and says, don't do it, what do we do? We call them a legalist. You're a legalist. You are. You're a legalist. You're making Christianity all about legalism. I know of you. My pastor's told me about you. And I go, oh, Paul's a legalist. Peter's a legalist. Because if living a holy life is legalism, then I'm a legalist. If living a holy, righteous life is legalism, then I'm a legalist. And why? Because I have to be, because the Bible tells me so. I've got to uphold the law. I've got to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. But I can do it because I'm under grace, and I can do it because the power of the Holy Spirit is working in me. If I didn't have that, I couldn't do it. I'd be good as a non-believer. And so what's happened is, and this is where I've written a book, So You Think You Are Baptized with the Holy Spirit. The reason people are not empowered to move in the ability to live a holy life is because they aren't filled with the Spirit. They're not getting filled with the Spirit. There's a, there's a whole wave of deception that's going on in that realm. And I'll get into that in another sermon. But it's something that's it's quite devastating to the church and the church has got to change and I believe we're living in a time where God's and this is what I said before, um, I think I've got it here somewhere God is calling his church to holiness and I feel I'm being commissioned to preach this message to restore the doctrines of salvation and holiness which have been snatched away by Satan that the church has become an unholy mob not everyone not everyone you always meet Christians that get it Always, there's always those Christians. There's a remnant. But the church must change because why? Jesus is coming and he's coming for a holy bride. He's coming for a spotless bride, a bride that's, whose garments are clean. He's not coming for a filthy bride. We must be holy so that we can, he will welcome us with open arms and we'll welcome him. And we won't feel ashamed at his coming. You don't want to be one of those that run and hide in the rocks and say, fall on me to hide me from the face of him who's coming. You don't want to be that person has a revelation as Jesus is coming in the clouds, you start realizing how sinful you are and how unchristian you have been. I've got a sermon I'm, I'm going to be writing in the next few weeks. It's called... It's going to be called conversion or convert, sorry, convert, disciple, apostle. And what that's about is many Christians are, could best claim themselves as converts. They've converted at some time, but after that, they've never been discipled or have never been disciples. They got converted and pretty much that's it. They've stayed at the same level they were converted at and actually, if anything, they wander in and out of their old life. But then there's disciples. There's a significant difference with disciples. There's a significant change that takes place in a disciple. They start to read the scriptures diligently. They start to pray diligently. They start to be diligent in every element of their faith. And then there's apostles. The apostles are the ones that are sent out. The apostles are the ones that will be uh, that have the power to perform great and wondrous things. They can preach. They can they can stir people's hearts. They can reach people. And there's different levels of apostleship. There's there's women at home on their knees who are apostles. Never get behind a pulpit. You know what I mean? I think that's a valuable. Teaching, because then you can say, where am I? Where am I? Am I just a convert? Is that the best I've become as a Christian? I've been a Christian 20 years and I'm just a convert? I haven't learnt the basics of Christianity yet? 
I haven't come along in my faith to a point where I'm strong and steadfast and someone I can be counted on, you know, and that, that will pray like anything, you know, and see things change. You know, I want to be that person. All right, uh, 18.20, let's go there. Have I finished 1 Corinthians? Yeah, 1 Corinthians. Do not, know, do not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. So Paul's telling the Corinthian people, don't be deceived in this. Neither will the sexually immoral, so sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom, nor idolaters will not inherit the kingdom if you're delating stuff more than God, nor will adulterers enter in the kingdom of heaven if, and it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not, you won't enter in the kingdom of heaven. Because it's clear, and there's many, many, many scriptures. Many will come before me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name? Cast, and and, it, and they'll be saying, Lord, Lord, Lord. I never knew you. I had no relationship with you. You did not do the will of God, it says. There's more to salvation than just sticking your hand up in church and then going back to your normal life. That's not salvation. That's not the gospel. It never has been. It calls for something. There's an obligation. So uh, prostitutes will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless they repent. Homosexual offenders will not enter into the kingdom of heaven unless they repent. Nor will thieves, nor will the greedy, nor will the drunkards enter into the kingdom of heaven. Nor will slanderers, don't even slander, nor will swindlers, people who rip other people off, will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you were. This is like Paul saying it to all of you. This is what some of you were, but now you've been washed. You were sanctified, which means you've been made holy. You were justified in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. You were justified through Jesus Christ. So that is a pretty powerful um, thing to say to us that you've been sanctified you've been made holy but who knows you get made holy at conversion you repent you're sincere you really want to turn from all your evil ways and practices and then you can go back into your old ways again and you're like a dog that returns to its vomit or a pig that re returns to wallowing in the mud and you get back involved in that and if you don't repent and get out of the mud you're not going to get clean and you've messed up the beautiful, pure garments of salvation that you were given. You've messed them up. Garments of salvation are white, pristine, and clean. Don't go and roll around in the mud. 1 Corinthians 8. And then it says down here, it says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Flee, run from it. Get away from it. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know? Understand this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. He's saying, guys, what are you doing engaging in sexual immorality? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You were bought at a price the precious blood of Jesus. He condemns sin and sinful man. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor him with your body and everything in relation to that. Let's go to Revelation 21.8 to finish. It says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, Idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and this is the second death. And that's in the book of Revelation at the time of the judgment which was coming in that part of the scripture. So just to get cut to the chase in this is that Jesus died to make us holy. That's the power of the message of the cross. The power of the cross is its ability to turn pagans into saints. To turn the ungodly into godly people. 
to turn the wicked into priests of God Most High. We are a holy people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. So you belong to him. You're his. He bought you at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Yeah? Guys, from all my research, and this is the fifth sermon in this series, have I been presenting like what the scriptures say? Does it not say in every book of the Bible? Every book of the Bible will tell us over and over again that we must live a holy life if we would be saved. That's what it comes down to. You must live a holy life. I, when I say it just like that, I can tell still some of you have trouble with that. But I thought salvation's a free gift. I thought we can't work, off, work for our salvation. No, you don't work for your salvation. It's been done on the cross. But it says we must be filled with the Spirit. We must walk in the Spirit. We must live by the Spirit. Therefore, that's why these Christians for 1,900 years lived such incredible lives. And guess what? We write about them in biographies and we, we lift them up like these guys are just the most amazing guys. But they were just living normal Christian lives. To them, oh, this is just normal. This is what you're supposed to do. But we're looking at them like remarkable men of God now. <laughs> and they were remarkable men, but it was only by the Spirit. They can't boast before God. Charles Finney and John Wesley and all these guys are not going to get to heaven and boast. They're going to get there and say, thank you, God, that you died for me. Thank you that you gave me your Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, I was wretched. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. What a wretched man I am. But then he, then he explains what he means there. That's, you know, people use that part of Romans. You know the scripture. The things I, do, I, don't, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. He didn't say that so Christians can identify. Yeah, 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 Paul gets it. That's what I'm going through. <laughs> Now, he's, he's saying that to illustrate a point. That's when you're trying to work your salvation. That's works. The things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. That's works. But then he tells you about grace and the power of the Spirit. And we're not under that, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do. We're not under that. That's not Christian living. That's frustrated living without Jesus Christ. Yeah? But we're doing that sermon in the next few weeks, so I'll be able to go elaborate a bit further on that. All right, thank you, Jesus, and uh, Lord, we, we bless you, and we thank you for this time. And I, uh, I just give you praise today, and I thank you that um, you enabled me to preach this very challenging sermon, and um, you enabled me at least to uh, take it straight from the Scripture, not from my own personal philosophy, because my philosophy has been completely bent and twisted by your scriptures, and it's actually twisted into shape. Uh, Lord, my philosophy pre this understanding was twisted and bent and not useful for anyone. But Lord, thank you, God, that in the scriptures it's so clear and, and it's so easy to understand. And I just pray that everyone here will not again, as I say all the time, will not assume that everything I said is absolute truth, but they'll go home and they'll go over this knowledge and these scriptures and that they'll read the scriptures from a different perspective and that they'll make their own judgments according to the Spirit. That they'll go home and ask God, is this, is this in fact true? If Rob is preaching the truth, then I've got some big changes to make in my life. And Lord, I just pray that this challenge has not fallen on deaf ears, or resistant ears, but this challenge has fallen on every heart here to make them and cause them to go deeper in their faith, to look deeper, to seek you more intensely, to look into their faith and question their own uh, level of commitment. And uh, I pray that you will really do something uh, in their lives and help them to be transformed by the power of the Spirit. That They'll start to walk by the Spirit every day and Lord, the fruits will become evident that they'll start to see souls getting saved as a result of their transformation, that they'll start to see um, uh, wonderful things taking place in their life, things that, that 
only can happen when you walk in the Spirit. Miracle healings and, and transformations taking place in friends and loved ones as they pray for them. And Lord, I just pray for a real change in this church. And Lord, we need it. We need it. We're only a remnant, a small remnant here, but Lord, I pray that you will just empower this remnant to be all that they're meant to be in you. I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Lord, be with us now as we as we fellowship together and also be with us as we go into this week. May your hand be upon us. May you cover us with your precious blood and keep us safe. Keep us on your path. Keep us from being tempted and pulled away into sin. Help us to live a righteous and holy life in you. I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Mm-hmm.